So often uh, the aim of Buddhist practice is considered to be enlightenment or liberation or nibbana or unconditioned, but uh, the practice of it is about clearing karma. So karma is both, uh, when we talk about clearing karma, it's really the two uh, time frames for karma. Karma is the action, in action that comes with intentionality, a definite conscious awareness of, I'm with this action, I'm doing this action. Yeah. And the action means primarily psychological action. Yeah. Not really bodily action, but being all kinds of things with your body that you're really not conscious of. So primarily it's conscious, psychological, mental action is the important thing to get with karma. Beauty of this means that, of course, you can change that quite... Uh, you can change it. You can change it. Uh, you can change it to small degrees, you can change it in major degrees. Uh, it's to do with intentionality. So you sustain an intention, an intention, for example, of patience. Just uh, consider what sort of stuff you derail through sustaining that attention. What kind of agitations, what kind of projections on other people, what kind of projections on what you need to be or got to get to, what, what kind of move, what energy you help to discharge just through sustaining that intention. Hmm? When you're patient, nobody's ever late. Isn't that wonderful? There's nobody getting... <laughs> When you're patient, nobody get annoyed about for turning up late because there isn't such a thing as late. <laughs> you know, so that's great, isn't it? You, you kind of cleared that one. <laughs> yeah. And so that's it's just one intention. It's not the end of everything, but you see, you can see the the power of that. Yeah. And without that then what happens, you know, we get other kinds of unconscious intentions take over, and already even get conscious, you know, efficiency, performance, everybody doing the same thing, you know, so stuff happens that really is not compatible with human systems. All the same, no, we're not all the same, can't all be the same, you know, <laughs> What kind of tyranny is that? <laughs> yeah. We're not better. You're not better than a tree, really. You know, I mean, some you've got some things you can do better than trees, but you try and produce air, like trees do. <laughs> you haven't got a, you know, you try and live on sunlight like trees do. You, you're not in the. You're not in the. You're not even on the starting line. So who's better than a tree? Depends what what kind of uh, references you put on it. So you know. You see how these uh, the sense of res- you know respect as an intention. Right. It's kind of just opening the frames of measurement. So everything is alive. Everything is is as its own intrinsic value to it you know you set up that intention and you clear a whole load of dismissive superior you know 
just so much stuff is just done through not really through running on the wrong set of assumptions some assumptions that are not that clear even who's the best if you're not the best you must be the worst <laughs> you know there's these what kind of mindset does that create <laughs> yeah yeah, so the intentionality of respect, non-harming, kindness, you know, what is that? How does that turn things around? Yeah? These are very powerful, you know, karmas that liberate us from mindsets, attitudes, assumptions, psychologies that are innately abusive. We don't even realize it. We don't even realize it because there's no conscious... Uh, you know, it's unconscious. It still happens, as we can see with you know devastation of the planet. A lot of it's completely unconscious. So, karma is essentially is the clear is the intentionality and is good intention, <coughs> bright intention, yeah, bright dark intention mixed and then there's the karma the intentions that lead to the end of it lead to clearing um, what's called past karma which is past karma old karma means the results of actions results of life results of what has been brought into being such as the body for example you know, so past karma is not necessarily our own. You know, it's not necessarily something I did. You know, but it, it has been created, like this body's been created. So there's past karma. It's not necessarily my karma. You know. It's important to recognize that not everything you're thinking or feeling is because of something you specifically have done. <laughs> Not everything that's absent in you is because of something you failed in. Yeah. So it's very important to unhook the identification with past karma. You know, we right? So because we're humans, we inherit the actions and the tendencies of human beings. Because we're in this particular culture or civilization, we inherit the history of that. We didn't do it, and yet we inherit it with all its mix-ups and snarl-ups and, you know, bright intentions and confused stuff. So, you know, what we're trying to, looking at very practically as a path, is how do we clear the past? How do we clear the past? How do we unshackle ourselves from the distress and the mess of the past? And that's got to be not just through patience and clarity, but actually deep penetration into our psychologies that we're probably not even aware of. But uh, you start to become, you become aware of them through 
training in Dharma. From training in Dharma starts to reveal things, and specific, often, you know, meditation. But you know what meditation is and isn't is a kind of another topic, really. But uh, full awareness, we could say, clear awareness of attitudes, actions, mindsets, desires, wishes, aversion, struggles, snagging, blurring, places where we fudge and freeze, places where we, you know, look the other way and <laughs> clamp down <laughs> on things. And this is so often calming, soothing the mind to be able to open up places where, where normally we just skid off, you know, or, you know, or, or run away from our anger or our grief or our uh, uh, panic or despair <coughs> our emptiness, our boredom our loneliness though mm. so really recognizing, you know, beginning to soften the reflexes around these places so that you know, it's often quite uncomfortable really Dharma practice letting these tendencies be ventilated but then we're all, as we're doing so, we're also keep dripping, drip, 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 qualities of good karma, you know, kindness, patience, compassion, clarity, honesty. And the karma, the most important, pivotal piece of karma, the end, the end of karma is wisdom, which is, and primarily you can break that down into two, two, two or three main points for what's called insight meditation which is the liberator that whatever you're experiencing panic, fear, worry is a process not a self it's not something wrong with you you know so when it clamps is when there's something wrong with me nobody else has got there's something wrong with me because I did something wrong I am something wrong I shouldn't be the way I am you know no 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 process how does it feel? And you go to process by really feeling it in your body, you know, because you can then you can create it, and then you can see it as an object, that sense of objectification. Yeah. When it's a subject, I am this. When it's an object, well, there's that energy running through my body, there's that kind of funny feeling in my throat, there's something happening in my face, there's this movement in my heart. Yeah, I can, you know, I can oh yeah, there's that. Does that change anything? It doesn't seem to. It's, you know, from a, on the page, it doesn't look any different. But as an experience, it is different. <coughs> you know, what is it that knows that? <coughs> so it's, you know, seeing things as, as changeable, relative, as, as not-self, and... Uh, Dukkha, unsatisfactory, <coughs> or suffering or stressful, mm. helps us to become more dispassionate. This isn't going anywhere that isn't really final, completed, even if it's pleasant. It's just pleasant, pleasanting itself, <laughs> feeling, doing what feeling does, feels itself, and it changes into something else. This is this karma that these this particular intentionality to watch, to witness, to work, to relate, and to relate outside of the normal 
personal psychologies to relate to things in terms of Dhamma practice rather than what I like or am or what what I'm going to get out of this or what I shouldn't be experiencing to relate to it as in Dhamma practice we are starting to develop particular you know processes and cultivations that are universal yeah my fear your fear fear whatever it is how do I meet that what's the proper meeting place with that what's the proper meeting place for that what do, what happens in your body to meet that what, happens, what do you do in your heart to meet that yeah. it doesn't matter who caused it or why or why I shouldn't feel this way but what do we do to meet it that's the radical uh, approach of Dharma and what happens with self view will tend to touch fear and then you know well it's you or it's me or I shouldn't feel this I'm paranoid or you know goes into all this stuff so we start to look at things much more universally and there are uh, beautifully there are universals that uh, human system is capable of that uh, clear these negative patterns sometimes we only really know the negative patterns through clearing the distracted psychologies that bury them uh, seeming endlessly inner narratives Mm. dropping beneath that so a lot of our practice is really about what's really going on now (laughs) you know What's really going on now? Can you simplify it? As I was suggesting the other day, can you take that whole scenario of thought and trim it down to one word? You know, overwhelm, fear, panic, can't manage. You know, you touch the nerve. <coughs> it, the inadequacy of our self systems to cope. Yeah, and you know, facing up to it. But beauty of it with Dharma is that your self-system is not the only thing you've got going for you. In fact, it's not even the best thing you've got going for you. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff going how to, you know, get your self-system really up to speed and shiny and totally plugged in. But it isn't even the best thing you've got going for you. Your self-system is one set of socialized, learnt constructions. There's something much more natural intrinsic this is why we drop into the body to get in touch with that source of uh, of intelligence and wisdom and then we can rise out of the body so today what we're going to do well I'm going to invite you to do whether you do it or not of course it's up to you <laughs> it's, it's a free space you know <laughs> But I'm going to do my best to make it sound worthwhile. <laughs> we do a little bit of body work, and then we can do some chanting, you know, which is a really nice way of, of embodying the heart. And then chanting is a lovely practice where it's both embodied, you know, and you can feel it resonating in your body. It's also heartful. You, know, you can have chants that are about mourning, chants that are about joy, chants that are about honouring, you know. Um, yeah. 
And, and then also there's a certain intellectual or brain precision that's required to, to keep it going, a lot of attention. So it's a very nice form of, of Dhamma practice, chanting. Let's start with a um, little bit of uh, some body work. So I encourage to stand, start with standing. use the whole body movements. Let's first of all get into standing. Make sure your feet are there. The ankles. Get your weight on one leg if you're okay with that. Bend your knee. Weight carrying leg feet. The knee is bent and you get Two muscle masses, the thigh and the calf muscles, both active. So it's much stronger than if you stand straight leg. Stand straight leg, there's not much uh, muscular potential available. Stand bent leg, a lot more strength. Now you can begin to, you know, get the sense of balancing. Very important body sense. You can even move around a bit. Stay balanced. Keep leg around. Keep the balancing. Loosen up your upper body. Loosen your shoulders. Try to get more confidence in your leg. Give the leg a chance to get more intelligence. Relax the rest of your body. Another useful movement to um, pick up is one for the knees, which as meditators you've got to look after those those knees. <coughs> so if you bring your feet, your legs quite close together, as close as you can without your ankle bones rubbing, and you bend, bend your knees till so you get. Your fingertips can just trail on your kneecaps. And make sure you're not leaning on your knees. Just let your fingertips, tra- your fingertips trail on it. Start drawing big, wide circles with your knees. And uh, wider, wider is better. Faster, because obviously. Th- you, when you reflect on it, the, the the width of your your circle represents the flexing of the structural tissues around the knee joint. Yeah. So if it's a wide circle, you get a lot more flex in all the tissues around the knee joint that stop it getting going getting ruined. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> it's support you need. <clears throat> you're also going to find if your f- feet are firmly glued to the floor, you're going to flex your ankles, get flexing in the ankles. That allows energy to travel up from the feet through the legs. If you deepen your bend a little bit more, you're also going to feel it in your hips flexing in your hips and 
where the spine enters the pelvis. You get some flexion around that. If you let your shoulders dip rhythmically till you become really snaky, then you get a quite a nice complete body workout. So in so going it you know, twenty twenty five circles in one direction, then reverse the circling. And then when you've completed come up taking the normal what we call the normal stance, which is legs coming straight down from the hips, feet parallel, knees slightly bent. Tail turned under. So one of the fundamental pieces of, of uh, this body work is getting a sense of the whole body where normally we tend to inhabit a very small region of it. You know, like we don't normally face, hands, maybe a bit of throat. The rest of it just sort of sits there underneath it all. Yeah. There's a major source of, in, of intelligence is being cut off. <laughs> this intelligence that helps to keep us balanced, uh, helps us know our boundaries, mm. gives us a sense of space, mm. gives us a sense of speed and rhythm. You know, the rhythm and a speed that's that's uh, comfortable. There's energy in that. Counteracts the pull of thought. Very much connects to emotional and psychological balance. Is the whole body as a unit. When it wakes up in, into intelligence, it supports psychological and emotional balance. And when if you lose the whole body, then you're capacity for psychological and emotional balance is severely reduced. So you get hyper, you know, when, you when it's reduced you get hyper states, when you're just up in the head flushing, you know, looking at screens and <laughs> <laughs> it's just this kind of cascading because there's no place for that energy to discharge, so it just buzzes around and comes out in speech. It's the only way you would discharge it, or it's non non-stop speech. And some, if there's no to talk to, then just as non-stop gibberish in your in your thoughts. Does any of that happen to you? <laughs> it's good to know it's not your fault. <laughs> But it's our responsibility to, to recognize we don't have to be just in that very localized, over-intense, hyperactive space. And it could be as simple as just coming into you at the fullness of your body, down into the, your feet. Mm. Body produces chemicals. Uh, yeah, and these chemicals uh, adjust our moods. 
And the body, essentially the movement of the whole body is towards balance. He inclines towards balance. As a whole unit, the aim of it is to have harmony and balance. That's its default movement. You know, the, this uh, parasympathetic system of the body is how does all this thing work together? You know, so, and when it only does that through kind of balance, harmony, and it's a quiet sense. You see, now, when we lose the whole body, we lose access to that essential balancing system. Yeah. And you get these hyperstates, and the hyperstates are sometimes succeeded by hypostates. You get undercharged, because you know, there's no, no real steady state. Hmm. So <coughs> let's just come into, first of all, obvious balance, the physical balance, standing upright. And just, you know, as an act of faith, recognition, what can happen if I really try to loosen as much muscle as possible? Not even power muscle, but structure muscle. You know, this can be how my jaw is held, how my eyes are held, you know. Eyes are so, so generally like, you know, so much of the time the eyes are held in focus, aren't they? We're looking at something that's so important for us to see things, see where we're going, read things, read screens, read notes, read papers, watch the traffic, you know. That, those muscles are pretty active more or less all the time. The eyes, as you probably recognize, rapid eye movement associated with a lot of thinking. What happens if the eyes could just float in your head? And the focus could be pretty fuzzy. Don't worry about the focus, we'll just focus on the sensations around your eyes. Notice how much of the face is used in expressing ourselves to others. Our quiet face can sometimes seem frightening because you don't know what's going on for that person. So we're generally smiling and indicating, wiggling our eyebrows, moving our lips, and kind of signaling all the time. And what would happen just as an act of faith? That we say, well, just let's just de-signal, hmm? not feel sad about it you know, or lonely. I feel that just the physical physicality of the face, the muscles. very important to feel the physicality of it because energetically when you unhook from systems that have become quite normal, habitual, you feel quite unsteady and nervy and sometimes ungrounded. So focus on the physical quality of the muscles in your face and how that connects to your neck, your jaw, your neck your neck, your shoulder, your shoulder, your biceps, your sh biceps, your arms, your fingers, it's all there. And form the physical map of the body and let the psychological map of yourself, let it float. <coughs> let it float. 
and let yourself, let your body breathe from below, from the lowest point in your body, in your breath body, feeling the breath pulling, expanding, and keeping as much tissue loose as possible so that that movement of energy can effectively flush everything. <coughs> Things are tightened up, they can't move through, so you don't get the benefit of breathing. Try to soften even your ideas, the unconscious I- idea we have of breathing. And this is a piece of uh, k- karma or resultant karma. And we, you know, we tend to imagine the body very much based upon the visual appearance of the body. And that's what a body is, it's that visual appearance. No, no, it's not. That's a visual body. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, looking at a bowl of soup. It doesn't taste anything like that looks. You know. Now we're trying to feel the body in the body's terms and feel what a breathing does, how you know it's happening, how your back knows it's happening, how your fingers know it's happening, how all the tissues, the subtle tonal changes with breathing in and breathing out. Open the throat, gain the voice box, highly activated, ready to shoot words, wisecracks, comments, responses, you know, before a hat can drop. So it's loosening the voice box, loosening the nerves around that. It's going to help quiet your thinking. Steady your energy. Let the breath roll over the voice box like your neck is a wide open tube with breath rolling through it. I'm going to suggest some movements now. Um, These may in fact help again this, we call this uh, the normal body, the normed body. Essentially, it's a unified thing, and it's very much moderated by the breathing pattern. You can feel it if you get more tuned into it. You can feel the breathing pattern toning, toning your nerves, toning your skin. You know, you can feel it toning, nuancing, even sense changing your body image. Yeah. So my my breath body is roughly circular. You know, I put on weight. I get quite rotund when my breathing doesn't really fit into the visual appearance yeah. but that's the way it goes why you know visual body is just one thing amongst the many there's also a breath body different and the breath body actually is a lot better personally speaking than my visual body <laughs> <coughs> So we're trying to you do something that helps to maybe move move the breathing body and even extend it. You get a sense of this occurring internally. Yeah, 
You know, just imagine that between, you, you know, you see this outline form. Imagine that was all empty. You know, it's like just that's a empty form. And though, of course, it is stuffed full of of bones and entrails and things. Still, there is a sense in which that, that whole inner quality of the body can be, energy can move through that. Yeah. Sensations and energies can move through that as if there's nothing there. The, the, the organs don't block it. The energy can move through that. And that track of the energy moving through the body and the, 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 the um, extent of the movement, we call it the inner body or the breath body. Okay, so now to extend it. So often where our breath body is really just quite narrow space up in our chest. So taking up the stance and now coming down to this uh, low point between the navel and the pubis. And it's about, if you put your thumbs on the, where your leg bone enters the pelvis, yeah, and you put your thumb there and just draw your fingers across where they meet. That's about, that's about it, yeah. It's like, it's not a pinpoint, it's like a reasonable, like a baseball. Mm. This area, we bre- when we're breathing out, we're going to kind of pull that back towards the sacrum. Just as if you have a big cushioning ball coming in slow motion, you know, pushing and you pushes pushes the soft stuff, pushes that place back. As it does so, you fold. You fold at the hip. You don't bend your shoulders, you fold at the hip. You fold at the hip and you bend your knees. Yeah. You keep your back, your spine straight, you fold at the hip, you bend your knees, you're breathing out. Hmm? End of the out breath, come down into your legs, push down from your knees down into the floor, using the strength of legs to push the body up, keeping everything apart from the legs loose. So the legs push down, let the body float up, just as if you push a float down through water and you let it go, it comes bouncing up. So push down, let the body come rising with the in-breath. Fold, breathing out, push down. So you get the sense of, on <coughs> on one level, the physicality just of the the energy of the leg muscles as they come up, the energy t- moves up. Yeah, because the body's a connected unit. So the power of the legs as they push up. The energy of that movement tends to radiate up through the body a little bit. Hmm? Are you with that? It will come up your back. As it comes into, the energy moves into the muscles in your back, they quite naturally tend to respond and they, they want to lift a little. That's quite... You know, fairly involuntary. You don't deliberately do it, but you allow it. Sense of lifting that comes. 
from the legs and there's a sympathetic quality that occurs in, in the lower back it lifts mm. as it does so quite, again quite naturally the abdomen swings open right. that swinging open of the, of the abdomen if you just let, let yourself relax with that you'll feel a tendency for the chest to open and the shoulders to come back now, along with that physical, purely physical movement, we're also following the in-breath and the out-breath, right? So breathing out, everything is coming down, dissolving, pushing down, and then the in-breath starts, and as your abdomen begins to open up, the in-breath coming up through your, it's got more room in your belly, and it also expands, and you can feel it coming up through your chest. So the effect of those two energies, one physical and one associated with breathing, is you get a sense of a, a widening expansion coming up through the chest and even perhaps some sort of slight flush in your face. And the mood tone, um, anything that's in involuntary, you know, and easeful and pleasant, yeah, involuntary, you don't have to make it work. You can't be good at it or bad at it, it happens. It's uh, easeful. And it's got a brightening quality to it. The emotion that comes up with that is joy. Or enjoy, and it's particularly associated with this uh, lifting in the chest muscles around here as we open. So we'll take that, encourage that a little bit further by as we come to the fullness of our in breath. Let your arms come back, widening. Breathing in, widening, and breathing out, sort of. So, breathing in, widening, and opening. So, breathing out, we're wrapping and protecting. So, it's not such a shutdown, it's more like putting a wrapping over. We're not closing things down, we're just wrapping it up. So that when we breathe in, we unwrap, unfold. The unfolding is uh, joyful, quiet joy. So if you're feeling comfortable with that, not dizzy or unsteady, so it's when we shift energy around, from uh, there's something that's shifting, one can feel disoriented. So look out for those signs. You feel disoriented, you know, or up in your head, a lot of energy up in your head. It's time to sit down, take a take a breather. Mm. <laughs>
quietly, or even just roll up on the floor if you need to. <laughs> um, but if you want to take it a little bit further, then just I'll try to model this. Mm. So as you're coming, breathing out, coming down, breathing out. If you come down, then complete the out breath by straightening your legs and pushing your palms. At that point, straighten your legs so you get the full stretch in the back of your legs. It's over. Knees are bending. So come down. Now I'm going to straighten my legs and push the palms open and out each side. Okay. You got that bit? Breathing out and then pushing successively straightening the legs so you feel the, the run of, ten, of tendon stretch down the backs of your legs. Stretching tendons or lengthening tendons is a good thing. Because yeah. it, it, it t- helps the muscles to unplug. Uh, yeah. So a plugged up muscle is frozen, locked, no energy in it. Lengthen tendons, it will allow the muscles to loosen get a little more energy running through the system. Okay. So there are various kinds of uh, ways we could be mindful of the body. In fact, there are almost like there are many bodies. Dead bodies, live bodies, muscle bodies, you know, viscera bodies, bodies we can see. Yeah, visual appearance bodies. Every one of them has a different register to it, doesn't it? Yeah. Sick body, dead body, oh dear. Yeah. Attractive body, oh nice. Different tones. Mm. Breath body. Mm. And so important to really find the body that is the body's own body not the visual body not the body programmed by social interpretations of what's beautiful or it's the body's own body because that's the the most important one to get to isn't it I would think how is that how's the body's own body warm a lot of various energetic movements flushes, tingles, glows Mm. pressures senses of solidity sensitivity to it various this is all what is meant really by the body in the body and the, for uh, meditation, for clearing karma, in this sense, clearing the attitudes, assumptions, fears, biases, and so forth, the highest kind of body is, is one that just has no designation to it. It's just there is body. It's not small, it's not short, it's not thin, it's not old, not female, not male, it's just there's this freeing the body from designation and that's something we can't do with our eyes 
but doing it with your breath. It's the freedom from designation, it's freedom from comparison, anxiety, and so on. Loss and gain. See if it's possible to let go of any de- some designation, you know, any degree of it. The result, if we can let go of a little bit of designation, there's a little bit of space, a little bit of peace, a little bit less mental activity. And if that's done with full awareness, we're not getting dull or sleepy, we're just getting acute, sharp, and yet quiet. Another suggestion, if you find it difficult to stay on track, your mind drifts off, just use your hands. Uh, This can be making direct, gentle contact. Often one, one, one system can be used is just to bring the tips, your fingertips to touch the fingertips of the other hand, same with the thumbs. Extremely sensitive points in our body. You can, so they will always give you something. Give you some sense and that the hands are so important for feeling held, feeling connected, feeling literally in touch. And the, you know, you know, it's amazing how the language keeps reminding us <laughs> of our most important faculties, touch faculty. In that you can touch, you can sense whether you're pressing too hard, whether you're slipping away, whether you're clawing, or whether it's gently in touch. And it's a signal, using the fingers to signal a particular quality of mindfulness. The framing is very gentle but quite precise. So as we take some time to form our reference frame for just this body being a body, contemplating, witnessing it, sensing it. If there's anything there that you don't need, that doesn't need to be active, you know, in your face or your upper chest, around your throat. And is anything there that's not, you know, that needs to be active, needs to be awake, be back, you know, your fingers, needs to be present, you know, to arrive. So we're gently encouraging the whole form to arrive in fullness and where it's overexerted, just to lighten up, to let other paces come in. And the agent for that message is, is the breathing. So when you're breathing, bring your attention into your lower back. When you're breathing, bring your attention into your collar. When you're breathing, bring attention into your forehead. 
just the last uh, point for the reading meditation um, what's called Kaya Sankara is the energy and the um, intelligence that uh, causes breathing to happen it's like a nervous signaling system there I was saying the other day how you, if you're feeling sleepy it's best to breathe less and that sounds counter instructive actually energy doesn't come through air <laughs> there's no energy in the well there's a certain amount of energy in the air but that's not you know, that, that air you know metabolizes into various things in your body that your body feeds on energy comes from that which causes breathing in and out and that's uh, and where that arises where it first triggers is in your lower belly not in your lungs and it pulls pulls in it it pulls it starts to pull on the in breath it sucks pulls air in now that's the that's the energy that gets you breathing it's weighed down in your belly so what I'm saying breathe less is if you deliberately lengthen the pauses between the out breath and the in breath and then you know lengthen the pause a little more like five seconds more and then let your breath come in more slowly as if you're breathing through a straw what you're doing is you're building up a certain kind of resistance to that energy so it pushes harder it pushes harder it's got something to push against so the energy is going to breathe it's absolutely determined to breathe (laughs) you know you can't stop it but if you resist it, it you, you're asking it to push a bit harder. Mm. So, so in other words, it, that causes it to build up its charge. Right? It builds up the charge. So even though there's less air, there's much more charge with that. And if you breathe in, slowly, gradually through a straw then you're kind of moderating how that energy moves through your body so it's not just a sudden gulp or where it just goes any old way you're carrying it carefully belly, chest, throat right up into the area behind your nose and eyes and then when you're emptying also emptying a little at a time all the way down so it's something to to bear in mind and to maybe play with for a few minutes just to see the effects or you know, it's there anyway the Kaya Sankara is a Pali word for it and it's the energy that causes breathing to happen and uh, that has to be um, 
cultivated. Generally in the instructions the theme is to thoroughly calm that energy from a hyperactive state. You know, which is rattled, scrambly, because that energy of breathing also affects you emotionally, psychologically, when you panic or you feel frozen, you know, you get a, it affects your breathing, it affects your your emotions, your psychology. So but before calming, or calming maybe not the quiet word, but steadying is perhaps better. Because it's also brightening, steadying, brightening, refining. Mm-hmm. So that channel becomes quite clear and steady. It's a slow, steady in-breath rather than a sudden and then a kind of flaccid dropping out-breath. It's a steady, that steadying effect means the energy is both steady but also very bright. So you don't get the dullness of calm. So just to check in with everyone, how how's that and how are you and do you have any comments or questions you'd like to to make contact with? Yeah. Thank you, Ajahn. Um, so I found that actually doing the um, the movement before the meditation was really helpful for um, for allowing me to to possibly for the first time ever, actually sort of experienced that non-identification, you know, just watching phenomena arise and pass. Um, and it, it sort of pretty quickly, having experienced that, then I felt a little bit of fear arise because it's, you know, not exactly a familiar feeling for me. And then so I tried to watch the fear arise and pass, you know. Um, and then that was, I guess, quickly replaced by thinking about it. So kind of coming out of the body and going back into the mind, sort of. Um, I guess my question about that is, I'm trying to form it into a question. Um, so I guess this is sort of the, the practice for equanimity. and. I've had some experience being able to establish equanimity in as far as the things happening sort of outside of myself, but I find it really difficult establishing equanimity towards the things happening in the mind and the body. Um, And uh, I guess what what does that really look like? What What is the equanimity? Of, uh, of the internal phenomena look like? Is it more of a non-attached observation or is it actually 
a sense of peace that arises around those phenomena because I'm just pretty unfamiliar with the feeling. Mm -hmm. What does equanimity look like? Sort of pink, spherical, <laughs> oblong, wriggly? <laughs> what does fear look like? I'm interested in how, how common it is to use the word watching for phenomena that we never see at all. And how when we watch, we pretty quickly come to thinking. Because seeing and thinking are quite closely aligned. They're, seeing and thinking are mostly about quite sharp object definition. And so when you watch something, it tends to trigger off the same sort of um, uh, responsiveness that thinks things. You know, clarity is what I'm looking for. Because that's what the eyes, the eyes work in terms of clear definition. And thinking works in terms of clear definition as well. So they too often connect. Uh, now what we realize uh, actually that fear is not uh, a clear defined object. Fear is a sudden flush and a rush. And equanimity is also not a distinct object. It's a space, an openness, uh, a non-reactivity. And those things can never be watched or seen or even really understood intellectually. Yeah. So for those, we have to come to another way of apprehending experience. And myself, I think, that found that perhaps the most useful one to apprehend experience that we're all familiar with is touching. And touching can be very, very sensitive and precise. Yeah. You know, if, what happens in your fingertips, as I was saying. Yeah. It's also, touching is, is totally intimate. You can see something that doesn't see you. You can't touch anything that doesn't touch you. So it's, it's highly attuned to relationship and to how ethically what's happening right here you know, who's pushing who? Is this balanced? Is this comfortable? Is it, you know? And that particular faculty of apprehension is the most useful one I find for uh, meditation. Yeah. Uh, breathing. People talk about washing the breath. I've never seen a single breath. Maybe on a frosty day you might get a few. But once you try to see your breath, you generally come up here and you start thinking. And sometimes you recommend it, you know, think about it. But it's certainly got some clarity to it, but it, it tends to, in a way, impose a certain set of suppositions about the breath. The breath will be clear, the breath will be distinct. And it's actually a suffusion. It's a suffusion. It's not clear, not distinct, but is it very clearly felt. And the feeling tone of the breathing is brightening. That can come into moods of joy and soothing, dissolving, and that can come into moods of relief. So ease, joy, ease, joy. Those are the kind of felt tones of breathing as it comes into its fullness, as we come into our proper apprehension of it. Now, uh, 
equanimity uh, is is it's ways off, you know. It's the most difficult. It's the most. It's the kind of highest paramita. It's the highest of, of the enlightenment factors. It's like this is this is the final <laughs> piece of it. So, as far as I can know, there's no such thing as a smooth road to equanimity, because <laughs> that would just be happy. <laughs> it's generally a rocky road to <laughs> equanimity, <laughs> with plenty of uncomfortable and frightening and disappointing until you get, look, you know, if you handle things that like that, you're just going to make it worse. If you handle things with getting intense about it, that's going to make it worse. Every time something goes wrong, you handle it with why me, and you know, so angry and disappointed and fed up, so unfair, you're going to make it worse. If you handle things like, oh, wow, this is great, I've really got to have some more of this, you're going to make it bad. Yeah, just handle it with our soul. You're going to feel most comfortable. That's, that's the way we have to learn. Yeah. And you, you can't have it, you learn it through Field work. <laughs> uh, you know how how you say it's working on reactivity. It's a very important thing that we cultivate. Working on reactivity. Something happens and you, know, you know, you just uh-huh. touched it, touched it, contacted. Before we jump in with the the rest of it, it touched, it contacted. It's there. I'm here. It's there. I'm okay. I'm breathing. Why make anything out of it? You know. So that's the way one becomes more equanimous. Um, to when it's equanimity in re, in relationship to um, sights, sounds, touches, and mental objects, which the most difficult is mental objects, because those are the ones that really fire us up. Uh, praise, blame. You know being abused, being praised. Mm. So that, that takes um, some tr- lot of practice. And practice, see, is, is the more we can come into pure presence, the more we can come into pure presence and find confidence and fullness in pure presence, praise, blame doesn't really have the same hit to it because we've got, we are, we don't, you know, it doesn't, I'm not getting anything out of praise. <laughs> I don't need anything out of, you know. So also, you know, if someone's doing something wrong, I can, I can take correction. Like, okay, turn left or turn right or speak more loudly. But I don't want to hang on to something about being, you know, that, that doesn't have to happen. Yeah. And so there's that fullness of presence is very important as something that matures with correct meditation practice, Dharma practice. The other is, um, you know, working on reactivity, which is to do with what we put out, and that's intention. Yeah. So the, the more you become established on, well, that's what she says, and that's what he does, but this is what I'm doing. That I feel good about, you know. They said this and so forth, but this is what I feel right about. So you become more focused on your own clear intention. Mm. Yeah. 
So that again helps because if we're just getting our intention is coming from the ricochet effect of all this, you know, how much of this is really going to be hitting me in the right place? You know? So if I'm just continually being bouncing like a, you know, like a billiard ball, snooker ball off a, off the various input of life, it's not going to be much balance there, or let alone equanimity. So can it come to what's what's the right intention now? And equanimity, you know, is really most properly, fully experienced in meditation, where you've got some, you don't have to come up with very much about making things work, but staying on track. So your intention then is just stay in touch and give up the uh, craving, resistance and so forth. It's a relinquishment thing. So it's possible for the mind to find a single unified quality and as the meditation ripens into fullness, there's less and less I have to do because it's starting to take care of itself. The system's coming to balance. You know, body's coming to balance, heart's coming to balance. I don't have to do very much. That's equanimity. I just hold the space. So we touch into that, you know, to a degree in meditation. At least we have, we know we can know that. And we begin to think, hey, that was pretty good, actually. That's even better than my reactions. You know, so you start to see what, what, what ones we prioritize. You know. And mostly our reactions would be towards you know, what's going to get me out of a tough place. You know, or what's going to get me into a good place. You know, what's a fear, defense, or acquisition. And they, naturally they do work to a degree. Otherwise you wouldn't do them at all. But equanimity gets, gets you to the good place without all the rest of that stuff. <laughs> it, it's a straightforward eventually place to find to get to the good place. Because, yeah, sometimes when you're reacting in terms of avoidance or, or holding on, you do get it right. But a lot, a lot of the time we make mistakes in that, you know, we overreact. So it's, it's the most helpful winding into it. What does it feel like? Very wide space, a very wide perceptual field, a very wide emotional space. It's an inclusion, including everything, including the, 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 the immediate feeling that happens, the immediate feeling that happens with contact, instead of it. Widening, including, widening, including. That that I would suggest is a, a uh, you know, in very short term, that's a practice path to equanimity. Widening, including, lessen the reactions. Widening and including. Yeah. Yes. Gentleman down here. Um, you spoke. Um frequently about uh, designation during the during the meditation and I wonder if you can elaborate elaborate a little bit on what exactly you mean by designation 
Yeah. Designation is to do with, uh, um, I guess it's a form of knowledge. Form of knowledge. So when we, you know, see something, we see it and we relate it to a pre-existing concept. See green thing, leaf. Green thing stuck on the end of a sticky thing with a pot, must be a leaf. Got it? You know, and that happens pretty instantly. It's designated. So you've got a, a kind of like a background dictionary of impressions and then something happens and it's, oh, that's one of those. That's a car, that's a woman, that's hair, that's whatever it is because we, we, it's designated, it's like filed away in that particular perceptual uh, filing cabinet. Designations. Um, it's, it's, it's part of our, you know, we don't even necessarily know we're doing it. It's, it's automatic designation impressions. Um, but they're not always, they're not, they have accuracy in them, but they're not always that, that they're not, never 100% accurate. And some of them are extremely inaccurate. So that would be like perception aggregate. Perce- the action of perception. Thank you. Okay. Yep. Thank you. I'm so glad that you spoke about the body so much today because that's exactly the question I had for you when I came in here. Um, As I mentioned yesterday, I've had so many operations and right now I have bilateral nerve damage and my legs both feel like they're made out of cement and my feet feel like they're full of rocks. So when I exercise and I do every day, I can't really feel the floor. I'm telling my mind what to do with my feet. But the question isn't about exercising because I'll endure any kind of pain that I think will make me feel stronger and better. But my problem is, I have a myriad of problems, but the one I'm gonna focus on is that when I have so much going on in my head, when I'm sitting or when I'm trying to practice during the day of being present in the moment, and I want to get out of the busyness in my head and drop into my body, my body is so full of pain that it's hard for me to, to stay with it. I don't know how I should react to that should I try to open up and welcome the pain and I try breathing through it I try breathing through each part scanning the body but you know I I really do that but I don't really feel the breath coming out of my toes Um, so I'm just wondering what can I do about that anything well I think probably what, what you seem to have is a very strong spirit, um, strong resolve uh, um, to be able to, you know, to, be, to want to practice at all. You've got some st- strong spirit. Uh, and, it, you know, your, your difficulties are not making you weaker, they're making you stronger in some ways. <laughs> Just, you know, the sheer <laughs> holding of all that. So uh, I think probably 
good to just come into that, come into your heart, come into, when I say heart, I mean something that's to do not just with emotion, but also with, uh, you know, spirit, what I mean by that, Uh, uh, vigor, faith, enthusiasm, courage, patience, mm, all that, come into that. Uh, and um, you know, bring your body into that. Bring your bring your problems. Bring any one of them into that into your spirit body, your heart body. Yeah. Right. What would it be like if this was happening to somebody else? If this set, if this one problem, this pain, this difficulty was happening to somebody else that you cared about and you wanted to be with. What would be happening to you? You know what you do, but what would be happening to you? You probably, yeah. Say the person sitting next to you is experiencing something, any of these difficulties, and you're there and you want to help them. You don't know what you can do. What would be happening for you? Well, I'd be feeling compassion, and I want to support them. Yeah. And give them love. Right. Exactly. So that's, uh, that's probably, you said that so immediately and so beautifully that that's a very obvious place for you to go, that you can go quite readily to. The trick is, it's more easy to be compassionate towards others than towards what we call ourselves. <laughs> so is that you know, necessary uh, step of being a bit more object that's that's there that's a body there rather than i'm in this you know that's a body there so we have to in a way accept it for what it is just like the person sitting next to me is in pain i have to first of all well there he is or there she is yeah, and then then the compassion can can come through because it was in the identification is what blocks it mm-hmm. thank you so okay. much yeah Welcome. So I appreciate the point on um, what do you call? Would you, you talking with the uh, designation? Thank you. That when I le- when I left yesterday afternoon, I was exa- physically exhausted, and I was thinking, wait a second, this is a Theravada Buddhist monk PE teacher. And it brought me back into when I was 13 years old in junior high school, and they wanted us to be uh, wrestlers or football players, and it was all very competitive, and I was on the bottom of it. And I was thinking, wait, but wait a second, their intention there was to become competitive and a winner and all that. I wasn't into that. Your intention is quite different. I was designating you wrongly. The, what they called PE teachers, physical education, your intention on us getting to know our body is quite different. I do appreciate it, that, that we have this sacred space that we can get to know. Absolutely, absolutely. And work generally, do you feel tired? I felt tired. But so what, you know? I feel tired, I sort of go down for a bit, I'm brightened up, that's, that's, how, you, that's how it works. But every time you're tired and you come back, you come back, you're a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger, a little bit more capacity. So, yeah. Don't let me flog you guys to death, I know.
I'm an old man, you know, I'm an old man. <laughs> yeah. It's the woman in the front row here. Oh, sorry, did you want to ask you a question? Um, as far as karma, um, if I'm understanding correctly, when we're mindful and we're aware, we're either creating um, good karma, wholesome karma, or no karma at all. So the, my question is, other than just waiting it out, how do you clear out, burn out old karma? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Through um, non-reactivity to it. See, what happens, why, why it gets so stuck is that old karma, what we inherit, triggers new karma. That is, I feel this way, so I'm, I feel frustrated and miserable. That's new karma. You know, even though it's only a psychological movement, yeah, every, every, intent, every movement, every intentionality has got a karmic seed in it. Yeah. So I'm feeling like this, so therefore, I, you know, what I'm going to do, you know, I'm worrying. Now, karma, creating new karma. And it's going to result to that. Now, it's not possible to, you know, have an intentionality that doesn't create a result. But it's possible to have a result that doesn't create an intention. And that's the way you break the cycle. Imagine it looping, like feedback loops. Result, because of this, I react. There we go again. Because of that, I react. There we go again. You know, round and round. So, of course, some stuff is extremely reactable. We feel guilty. Terrible memories, the things I did. Every time I get them, I go, oh, no, stupid idiot, stupid. Idiot. You know, new karma. Yeah. Um, so, these are the places where we've got to be very steady. And the easiest place is in your body. You can feel that. Hold it. Hold it, hold it, and then compassion, kindness to myself, to others who I may feel I've hurt or damaged. You know, that's that's, that's how you do it it's in a nutshell. Through firming, holding, which is samadhi, and through Brahma Vihara. So, if you were to just completely stop reacting. And you were able to do that, which I don't think, you know, I certainly can't do that. But if I was able to do that and just not react to anything, there would still be a stream of old karma that would keep coming up. So would it be just a period, like, a, is there like a linear relationship where there would be a certain amount of time where that old karma would have to keep coming and coming and coming? not reacting, not reacting, not reacting, and then we hit a certain point where it's like, okay, the debt has been paid, now fades. we're done. It fades, and it fades, the less you react, the less each turn of it, less intense it gets. It's just, oh, there's that memory again. And it's less intense. It's the reactivity that makes it intense. It's the amount of charge it carries that makes it intense. Yeah. Uh, so the less intense it gets, the less impact it makes, eventually, where is it anyway? You know, where is the past anyway? It's only the intensities in which I'm holding it 
if the intensities fade, the past fades, as, a, as a, something that's on my back, something that's firing me up. It doesn't mean you lose your marbles. You, know, you can still remember, you know, oh, there's that and that and that, but it doesn't carry the same oomph, the same push, the same charge. There's a difference also between reaction and response. See, you don't necessarily react, but you can respond. And so, you know, for example, like a Buddha, someone has finished karma, but they're still doing stuff. They're not just sort of sitting there like, uh. <laughs> But the response, the response is fundamentally, the basic program is compassion, sympathy. You know, so the response is, let's see what we can do. And this person's open, interested. This is where he's coming from. Present that. See, see if this works. You know, if it doesn't work, that's fine. You know, it's not like I've got to convince everybody. <laughs> you know, so Buddha's got no particular, you know, thing he needs to prove in order. That, you know, but just lets it. What he knows, lets it come out to people who want to hear it. So there's response, but there's no program. And there's no karma. So if you're perfectly equanimous, responding, not reacting, like you said, how would you come to the end of karma? <laughs> well, you're only equanimous when you have got to the end of it. Because <laughs> otherwise, something always ruffling your feathers sooner or later. <laughs> you're only equanimous, perfectly equanimous, when you have got to the end of karma. You know, so that's, how do you get there? <laughs> <laughs> the Eightfold Noble Path. <laughs> More practice is necessary. <laughs> there's another there's a woman in the back got her hand up there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is in response to, um, or uh, to add on to what this gentleman was talking about. Wouldn't it seem that the attempt to get rid of karma creates karma? In that we're trying to get to another place than where we are, mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. we're in this struggle now to get rid of something. I I'm just thinking about the times that I have felt the best in my life. And it was, I'm thinking about the times that I felt the best in my life. And it was when I came to a sudden realization, and then I was free. And I didn't have to think about anything. Those moments didn't last very long. But they gave me a guide point. Um, but this need to get to a place where we have gotten rid of something to me, feels like a struggle. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting you said realization. I wonder what set up the realization. Mm. For me? Mm. Uh, once it was a little voice in my head that said, it's really okay. You're really okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know where that voice came from. Right. And suddenly, my whole body felt different. Mm. My soul felt different. Mm. 
I saw people and loved them. Mm -hmm. People <clears throat> I didn't even like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it That's lasted right. for like two or three days. Um, yeah. yeah, that's karma that leads to the end of karma. So you just did it. I did. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, in other words, just that, see, the, the, the quality of the thought, not yeah. just a thought, but actually an emotional shift that says, instead of doing that, let's just do this. Oh. Realization occurs. The realization is not karma, but there's a particular set of and what we're trying to do here is look at what kind of shifts we can make that will support us coming out of our treadmill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in a way, yeah, there's things we do, there's actions we do, in all, but we can't do realization. But we can mm -hmm. set it up so we're not blocking our realization. Mm -hmm. We're not shutting ourselves down. You see, you see if you don't generate good karma or clear karma. Good karma is not necessarily gung-ho. It can be just mm -hmm. quiet. If we're not doing that, we're tending to generate bad karma. <laughs> you don't have a choice, like, should I just give it up or should I do some good? No, you either do good or you do bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, or you do confused. You're not even aware mm -hmm. of what you're doing. So we're going to be doing anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's true, exactly what you, true what you say. There's no, you know, if he's doing things in order to get to, that's a language problem. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a language problem. There is a result. But if you come in with, I want to get the results, then you, it's, that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're, you're trying to skip over the process. Mm -hmm. and the process is meeting. Meeting what's coming at you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to really go any, anywhere at all. Because sitting still, the stuff's boom, 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 you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how you meet that, you know. And which bits you're going to say, well, later, you know, I can't handle that one because it's too much, I'm in a snowstorm here but I can handle this bit so there's a certain amount of selectivity mm -hmm. around it and I can manage this bit and that's, that, all that requires a kind of careful adjusting and, and working all that is karma, all that is intended intentionality it's not intention as a, as a thought pattern sometimes intention carry carry by thought, but it's more like inclination and inclination, as you meditate, can get very, very subtle and very acute. Yeah, very sensitive. Yeah. Right. You know, it's noticing. And in, the most, of course, sensitivities such as the inclination of of, of uh, goodwill and acceptance is quite a subtle. Uh, yeah. So all, the, all that is, is considered in the realm of skillful <coughs> karma. And it's not about getting places, it's about meeting what arises. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay, just the last question for the morning. We'll take some more this afternoon. So, oh, oh there it went. Okay. It's gone over there. <laughs> um. So for me, um, I'm very, I feel very grounded in my body. Um, so this is a wonderful place to be and, and have the Buddhist teachings um, as a part of that. Um, what I'm experiencing now is 
kind of disconnect, I guess is the word, between my head and my heart. And my heart wants to take over. And it just, I feel like it's saying, just listen to me. And it's very active in my body. Mm -hmm. Um, And there isn't necessarily a story that goes along with why I'm feeling this way. And I'm just wondering what recommendation you have for that. Because I don't want the mind to take over. And I feel like my heart clearly is active and wants to be listened to. It wants to be listened to. Okay. Why don't you uh, just uh, give yourself the chance uh, to, as you touch into the heart, what kind of sound would be good? Like a humming. Humming. Why don't you do that? Tune into that, see where it goes. See, we'll do so practice this this afternoon. Sounding or resounding is a way of emotionally keeping an emotional reference uh, and often a, a helpful emotional reference coming into the heart. You know, so it could be sometimes, it could be just. You know, what's that mean? I don't know. Uh, I feel like that. <laughs> then, okay, and then you listen to that. Whether you say it, make it verbal, or make it auditory, or just even imagine it. I know what it means as an idea, but it's doing me good. <laughs> it's giving me a kind of a, it's an emotional frame. That as I touch that, I feel heard. I feel listened to, I feel I've said my say, my emotion has been allowed to manifest. Uh, not just manifested, but also um, you know, manifested and, and attended to and felt in my body. So it's a very holistic way of listening. Uh, and often, with, with, as we know, with emotion, so often it is just really what is necessary is to, it, to be heard because that gives it the kind of responsive empathic space that receives it and then it, the energy of it goes boom and then okay right it's, it's, it's yeah okay it's been completed and it can move on not getting rid of it, but allowing it to, to move and sit and express itself. Very important. I'm sure most of us really realize the need to be listened to and to be heard. Yeah. What? Why? <laughs> yeah. It's necessary, isn't it, for something to... Now, I, now, I, I, now I've got some readout on what's happening for me. Ah, oh, there it is. Because it's been heard, because you've helped me get that out there, now I can, oh, okay, yeah, now I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. It's, then it can move, it can change. But sometimes when we listen, we only listen to the words. And you've got to listen to the, the feeling. What, right? Isn't that, isn't that it? Yeah. Without any answer. 
Okay, let's take a, a break. Yeah? See if we can get back. So, 1 one fifteen. Mindfully. Mindfully cram into the elevator. <laughs> Mindfully feel your feet walking down the street. Keep the sense of a gentle but purposeful gait towards food, nourishment, so on. And then please get back. <laughs>